You're listening to Season 2 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. Welcome to episode 62 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm C.C. Broadus, and unfortunately, today I'm not joined by my partners in crime, Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers. Alan's in Florida, taking a well-deserved vacation, and Brandon is still on his honeymoon in Grenada. And by all accounts, uh, Brandon's having a really good time down there with the native, is it Grenadians? The Grenades? Maybe the, the Grenadines? I don't know. We'll find out when it gets back. So let's get right to it. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about on the Kentucky horse racing front. Ellis Park is ready for a four-day weekend. I believe they start uh, Thursday, Friday, then they go Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then they're off again on Monday. But without further ado, let's get to our guest tonight. Our first guest is a breeder in central Kentucky. Uh, she's the proprietor of Mockmer Hall Farm. That's Carrie Brogdon. Carrie bred the outstanding Philly Teppin. And she also had a little bit to do with the upbringing of this year's Preakness Stakes winner, Rombauer. And then after Carrie, we're going to introduce Derek Bright, uh, a, a trainer from Campbellsville, Kentucky. He's got an operation down there where he breaks yearlings, but he also trains a nice filly named Sachs, who broke her maiden uh, early in June. And she upset a field that included included a Brad Cox and a Tom Amos runner. So a little bit of pride there for for Mr. Bright. We're going to meet him later and and uh, talk about uh, his career and 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 what he's doing right now. So without uh, further ado, let's get right to it. Here is our recorded conversation with Carrie Brogdon. Okay, we've been blessed to have a lot of guests, a lot of important people on our podcast over this past year. And tonight's podcast is no different. Uh, in fact, our guest this evening needs no introduction in the world of thoroughbred breeding. Her Mockmer Hall Farm has suddenly become a force in the industry. She had already bred grade one winners Teppin, Premium Tap, Dream Tree, and Gift Box. But maybe 2021 has added a feather to her cap as Rombauer, a colt that Mockmer Hall fold and raised, won this year's Preakness. And then just three weeks later, a filly named Search Results became, the, became their greatest or excuse me, became their newest grade one winner by taking the acorn on Belmont Stakes Day. We're pleased to be joined by Carrie Brogdon, the co-owner of Mockmer Hall Farm. Carrie, are you there? I certainly am. I appreciate it very much. A lot of people don't know, too. We we actually have Flat Out and Black 17 also that were uh, pinhooks uh, that were grade one winners. And um, I we've been very blessed, and I appreciate this very much. So the the list of laurels is long. All you got to do is look at the website, and it's just, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Oh, by uh, the way, the website that I have never logged into that do not I'm, I'm a technology dummy, so I I can go and click on it. But God bless Kim and Amy that helped me uh, keep it up. Well, that yeah, I, I would say you're probably more hands on with the with the horse flesh than than the uh, the technology I, I gather. No doubt. Uh, today I was at the Yearling Barn, and I was so proud of myself 
cleaned a bunch of stalls, raked the walker, and and I told my guys, I'm like, how am I doing all this labor? And I get on the scale, and I still am the same weight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it is a labor of love for sure. Well, first of all, Carrie, uh, congratulations on all of your accomplishments, especially this year. Uh, what you've managed to do in a, in a short period of time is nothing short of outstanding. Uh, what, what do you attribute you, your success to? I think the, I think, I honestly think the land. I, I, and I will tell you that we live on a magic road and people, the, the Sienna farm, Claiborne farm, Stone farm, Hindenburg farm, Van Meter. I mean, we all live on the same road. And, uh, I will tell you that when we bought our original 105-acre piece, which was the original in Mockmer Hall in 2001, when we bought it at public auction for $3,500 an acre, it was a cattle farm, and it was in between Stone Farm Stallion Division that we've since bought and uh, Stone Farm, the actual farm. Arthur Hancock was there when we bought that property at auction and he came up to me and I'll never forget this and he wanted to say he he said to me you know congratulations I want you to know that you have just bought a wonderful piece of land and the first horse first crop we ever raised on that farm there was a grade one winner in that in premium tap and uh, it's just been it's when we came from Virginia, we had blackjack soil. We had all kinds of problems. We had check ligament problems. We had all kinds of foot problems and issues with tendons and ligaments. And um, everything changed when we moved to Kentucky. So I will, my answer is the land. You well, have to have them out on the land, though. You can't have them stuck in the damn stall. You have to be <laughs> out on the land. Well, the there's place. something to that. I mean, I've always heard my whole life that uh, the soil – in that region of Kentucky is just, it's richer, right? I mean, there's just more nutrients. Uh, it's, it's a little different from like where I am. I'm, I'm a little south of Louisville and I think it's more like a, what, what they call limestone and silt. And, but, but in that area where you're from, it's, it's the, the soil is just uh, that much more. It's just, it's, it's better, right? Better for growing a, growing an animal. Would, would you say? Uh, that's what I've always been told. I mean, it's interesting to look at the soil maps and, Obviously, going out Old Frankfurt Pike, there's certain key areas going out Old Frankfurt Pike and in Midway and here in Bourbon County. And then there's some in Georgetown County. And, you know, I'm not saying a good horse can't come from anywhere. But I remember we had a big party about six years ago in Bourbon County. And uh, it was for all we had like 12 of the 20 horses that were entered in the Derby that year raised in Bourbon County. I mean, you got to consider this Denali stud and watercress. And so uh, there was so much incredible land in the Lexington area. And it is, this, like Damon Thayer said, it is a signature industry and things are special here. And I've seen it with my own eyes. The horses we raised when we were in Virginia and people would come to look at our horses, they would be like, these are so behind compared to Kentucky horses. And we were like, what? I mean, if anything, my mom overfed everything, and we had a farrier that trimmed everything backwards, I realize now. <laughs> I mean, I learned that within five months of moving to Kentucky, maybe less. But there was something about the land 
and it's special and it's different and that's why we're here. And, um, I can't express enough joy about Kentucky and the horses they raise. And all you have to do is look worldwide of what's happening. And we raise the best racehorse product. And I think it is 99% the land. So you're from Virginia, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. and how, what what was behind the move to Kentucky? Um, it's funny actually. My mom had horses, and she was at the old Buckland Buckland Farm. We were running it in Virginia, and uh, I had a very long term boyfriend of three and a half years, and uh, I got really, really, really back into the thoroughbreds. And he, when we broke up, he told me that. I loved horses more than I loved him, <laughs> and he was probably right, and that is what propelled me to move to Kentucky, and then I met my Australian husband at McCarthy's, uh, and the rest is history, and now he's stuck here. How you love your husband more than horses now? Huh. Uh, equal, equal. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he's just come into the room. But anyway, so now we have this brilliant life, and my husband from is now a U.S. citizen, and we have three kids, and our horses are our lives every day. I mean, today we had a full die in the clinic, and it's been, oh, God, Man. heartbreaking, and there's yeah. nothing anyone could have done. It was a severe case of colic, and we did everything we could, but those are the highs and lows. You know that that things are going to go right and things are going to go wrong and you embrace the rights because when they come around, it's really joyful. Yep. You celebrate the highs. I've learned that. Amen. Yep. Absolutely. And everything in life. I think that's what horses teach me. You celebrate the highs and don't be afraid of celebrating the highs. And if people give you grief for celebrating highs, you just tell them there's a low coming around the corner and you have to embrace that happiness because that's just part of of who we are as an industry it's not an industry for the faint of heart uh there's a lot of death and destruction and as with any live animals whether you're a dog breeder or a cattle breeder or anything you you really you you get so excited when the big racehorse comes and and the reason for that is because it's so hard Everything is so hard. Everything is so right. These horses have to have nothing. They have to jump through all the hoops to get to the pinnacle of what we want them to be. Right. Well, that I've, that's something I've always said in the past is, uh, you know, the sport has always wanted new eyeballs, new fans, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm not so sure this sport is for everybody. You know, I, I grew up on a farm, a cattle farm. And, you know, it, it was beef cattle. So, you know, yeah. there, there's an end to that. So, I mean, it's not this, like you said, it's not for the faint of heart. And, uh, but, but, uh, uh, we love, we love our animals just the same and we, we take care of them as best we can. Uh, well, that's why you have to, that I think, and I agree with that. And I think that's why people have to realize that having a derby winner or an Oaks winner or a Juvenile winter is so special because it is so hard. And that's why so many successful businessmen and women try. I mean, you would be astounded at how many billionaires, millionaires walk in this industry 
and think that they can just buy whatever. That's not the case. No. I mean, you can you can buy a horse for we just we just saw it actually this Saturday where there's a horse that was bought for five hundred and there's another horse bought for like six hundred and they were both running against another horse that did not make its reserve at fifty and the street boss won. And uh, yeah, that didn't, that couldn't, they couldn't even get a fifty thousand dollar bid. So the breeders of the street boss, who we actually know, ran the horse, and that's the greatest thing. But it's a great equalizer. Whoever crosses the wire first wins. It's not political. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or if you're a conservative or liberal or whatever. He's whoever's horse crosses the finish line first wins and that is something that's um special and different and it takes away all the other periphery stuff so let's talk about teppin for a little bit uh, you purchased mm-hmm. dam of teppin life happened in 2008 uh, she okay. was not full at the time what did you like about her when you bought her and uh, why did you decide to breed her to bernstein Okay, what I loved about her when we bought her is her Bernstein coal behind her. She had a beautiful foal behind her, and she was in book six, and Brandywine's client had her. So here comes Life Happened, and then her foal behind her. And I we we were all about the foal, who was a Bernstein coal, who ended up becoming a greatest stakes horse named Prime Cut that Mike Ryan bought. Anyway, so... I was like, I told my mom, I said, oh, I love this horse, love this horse. And I, and then I texted her. I wasn't at the sale when my husband and my mom bid on her. And I was like, hey, by the way, the mare is in, right in front of this colt that we love. So my mom was like, oh, great. So my mom bid and bought Life Happen. And then in book six, you do not expect to spend like $50,000 on a full. We thought we were going to have to spend like, 30, 35 at most. And our friend Xavier Moreau, who we didn't know at the time, he loved the horse also. And so we were the underbidders on that horse. And I think he returned him back as a yearling and he brought like 450 or some obscene number like that. Hmm. Anyway, so he went on to become a great stakes horse named Prime Cut. But before that happened, so life happened was not in full and I loved him so much we wanted to do the mating back uh for prime cut for that weanling so she was booked back to Bernstein the year after we bought her the first season we could breed her and the day she needed to be bred we talked to Kesslin Lyons and I can't get her in can't get her in can't get her in he has three mares on his book we cannot get in cannot get in cannot get in our veterinarian checked her he was she was he was like she has to go today. She's ready to ovulate. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do? So I called over to Spendthrift. And um, my friend Ken Wilkins was running the stallions at the time. And I said, Ken, uh, what stallions do you guys have? We have this mare we really like. And she can't get in a Bernstein. Where can we send her? He was like, you know, we've got a spot here with this new in the uh, Harlan's Holiday Horse. I know you liked him a lot. Anyway, he has a spot this afternoon. You can breed her to him. And I was like, okay, let me double check. And I asked Craig and my mom, and we're like, okay, 
We'll do that. Let's let's go ahead and breed him. That breeding was by Jack, who's a grade two millionaire. The next year, we wanted to repeat the Bernstein breeding, and we're like, okay. Uh, we're going to book her to Bernstein. This is, you know, Vijack was just a baby, a yearling, at, or, a, yeah, weanling at the time. We're going to book her back to Bernstein. So we did. We repeated the mating that I wanted to do the year before, but we couldn't get into. That's Teppin. Isn't that crazy? That is unbelievable. So it's, so it's only fate, complete yeah. fate, <laughs> that one is a Vijack and one is Teppin. Yep, and it was exactly only right. big. Yeah, I mean, who knew? Who yeah. knew? And I tell people that. I was like, I mean, sometimes sometimes you just have to let fate take the reins right. and and the universe comes right. Yeah. And I, um, my best friend Valerie Demerick and I talk about that because we're always talking about the universe making things right. And in the in this case, that's exactly what happened. Right. Some things are meant to be. Sometimes you just got to wonder how, how, and you just sit back and how, how did this happen to me? You know, how did this literally, literally, literally for this to happen? Yeah, literally, if if one of those mares to Bernstein his first year had canceled because she'd ovulated or had a slower follicle, we wouldn't be having this conversation about Teppin. Right. So it is a crazy, but that's how much zigging and zagging there is. And that's that's brilliant. And I love it. And it's wonderful and incredible. And I, it's just uh, it may, gives me goosebumps to even talk about that story. Yeah, well, the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, Tiffin went on to win the Breeders' Cup Miles. He's probably one of the best mares or best milers in this country in the last 25 years, I would say. Uh, she, she won the Breeders' Cup Mile at age four. Then the following year, which I thought was a, just a, a, an even bigger accomplishment, she won the Queen Anne Stakes at Royal Ascot. Did you get a chance to go to Royal Ascot by any chance for that race? I'm an idiot. We I didn't realize how... <laughs> how special it was. Craig and I could have gone. I I didn't realize how special it was. Now, after it happened, I realized how special it was. So the next year we went with So Perfect. But um, I didn't realize. I should have gone. And well, that is, that's one, I mean, if they printed on my tombstone, Carrie Brogdon, <laughs> she did not go to Royal Ascot to watch Teppin win and meet the queen. And um, I, I the, the next year when I went with Val, Valerie and I went to Royal Ascot and we had an amazing time, I must say. And thank you to Colmar for letting us do that. And I got within 20 feet of the queen and that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and um, it's such a different feel over there. But I will tell you that nothing compares to Royal Ascot. And I haven't been to Del Mar, but the history there, I mean, the, I think the the track was founded before the United States was basically incorporated. <laughs> so I'm not sure if the right incorporated is the right word, but um, uh, before I think it was what Royal Ascot was in sixteen some sixteen hundreds sixteen or seventeen hundreds. So it was before 1776, um, before the United States independence from Britain. So it, to go there and be a part of it. Even afterwards was, I mean, surreal. Uh, gosh, <laughs> it, it was it was wonderful experience. I fully intend to do it again if we have another big time horse there. So looking back, what was the bigger accomplishment for Teppin? Was it the Breeders' Cup Mile at Keeneland or the uh, the Queen Anne? 
the Queen Anne. The Queen Anne because the turf was so soft and people said, oh, she'll never be able to do it because it's so, it's so soft. She'll, she needs harder ground and she did it on heart anyway. And, uh, we, we were there for her win in the, at Keeneland. But, um, I definitely think that she set the, the world stage on fire at the time. I mean, wh- horse racing wise. Well, um, looking back, Wesley Ward was, was bringing two year olds over there at the time, you know, sprinters, five furlongs, and he was excelling or he was actually winning races over there. And that, that kind of, I think that, that led, uh, Mark Cassie to, to, come up with the idea to, to ship her over there. And I, I recall the day of the race, I think she's got no chance. She's not going to, no American is going to go over there and win a grade one going a mile. And, you know, my jaw hit the floor when. Well, uh, his owner, Mark did not want to take her over there because oh. in, in, in honesty, two things. Number one, they didn't want to run with the flare strips. And number two, she couldn't run with Lasix. Yeah. And um, I think that uh, fair enough. I mean, when we sold her as a yearling at Saratoga, she didn't have a perfect throat, and uh, that's why she was very affordable. She didn't have a perfect throat, and she didn't have uh, she had had chips out of two out of four. She had chips out of two out of four ankles, which were cleaned up and fine, but she wasn't perfect. And uh, I never forget Fatty Greathouse, who's Deuce's father, who bought her for Bob, came up to me and he was like, "Hey, what do you think about that?" He asked me, "What do you think about this filly?" Our vet says this. Our vet is okay with it to race. Is she okay? Can I recommend this filly? And that's the, that's the relationship between a buyer and a consigner. And I just told him, I said, she's never had any problems. She swims in the pool. She does not make a peep. And, um, so, you know, I think, I think it was a tribute to her owner. I mean, obviously, Mark's a great trainer. We've had a lot of luck with him, too. But it's, it's very hard when you're on the world stage and all eyes are looking at you. Now things are a lot different with Lasix and how people per, have perceived Lasix because it's slowly being phased out. But at the time, it wasn't like that here in America. And um, anyway, I think there was some anxiety about taking her over there. But she proved him, she proved him wrong and... I do wish that would be one of my great regrets of not going. <laughs> I, 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 I really do wish I had gone and I just didn't realize how special it was and I didn't realize how special she was. And I do now. I, I totally do now. It was a fantastic story nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So officially, uh, you're not really listed as the breeder of Rombauer, but you you fold. Oh, we're the not fold. the breeder. No, I, do, I right. don't want to take any credit for that. Right, but you but he he was raised on your farm, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we're very you, good friends with the Frackens, and we before we privatized in November of 2000, I, I think I believe it's 2018. Um, he was on our farm right until we privatized, and basically we have too many horses because I'm a horse addict, and. We had two really good clients still on our farm, and then when we realized we couldn't fit them, we when we privatized the farm, it, um, Diane and John's mares were um, one of two clients. We had to move to different farms. And Ben Berger obviously has done a fantastic job, and he is a fantastic horseman. So did you go to the Preakness? 
<laughs> I did not. I watched it from our. <laughs> I did not go to the Preakness. Wait a minute. I'm sensing a trend here. <laughs> You're not superstitious, are you? No, and I would have gone. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have no problem going. I, I actually am not superstitious at all. Personally, I know that people believe this and believe that. I don't think me being there or not being there has any bearing on a horse's performance. Um, but we were here, and we we didn't expect it. I mean, if you had, I mean, I was gobsmacked when he won. I was like, oh, oh, oh my god! I mean, I knew that John was really excited and high on him, and I. I no, my neighbors came over and she was like, oh, my gosh, you just got they just interviewed John on TV and we came, ran up here and we rewound it. And the Frackens are very amazing people that they acknowledge everyone. And um, we feel very grateful to be a part of it. And um, it's wonderful. I mean, we're huge, huge, huge fans of Twirling Candy. He has been so good to us. It's kind of one of those things where there are certain sires that can do no wrong if you, like with us within the mischief, but of course, I guess in the mischief is like that with a lot of people. Um, you just, for whatever reason, you, ha- you, you want to support them. That's how twirling candy was with us. But John did the mating himself and, um, I think he did everything right. I mean, he spotted the horse right. He waited for the right race, and they're lovely people, and hopefully he'll stand the stud one year, and we'll be able to breed him. Can you believe that you were involved with a an American Classic winner? They only, they only hand out three of those every year. you know. Well, the day before, search results had just gotten beat in the Oaks by the Colonel and Philly. And so, oh, my. I mean, <laughs> my, my, my bucket list is – definitely to breed a derby winner i mean it is so it's like it's like a wham 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 in the back of my mind all the time yep well that's probably what gets you up in the morning yeah and the closest we've gotten is seven i've done the derby walk over three times and we've had four in it and uh when joining the dance ran it was before i was really really connected and really really realized i could have done the walkover but um, the closest we've gotten to winning it is seventh, and uh, I appreciate how hard it is to do. I really do. Everything has to go right. The horse, the soundness, the timing, the – oh, my gosh. But that's why it's so so wonderful because it's so hard. There's so many hoops to jump through, and just to be a part of it is a gift. And that is not lost on me, nor a lot of breeders in the Oaks and Derby. That's quite an accomplishment just to have a horse run in the Kentucky Derby. So that's, uh, yeah, you're, you're moving in the right direction for sure. Well, uh, we had two the same year when we had Vijack and Vince Ramos. And it's really funny to me because ultimately Vijack was only born because of the story we talked about. Right. And, um, I'm, excuse me, not, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not Vijack and Vince Ramos. It was Intense Holiday and Vince Ramos. Right. So we had four join the dance by Jack, Vince Ramos, and Tense Holiday, yeah. um, all trying to go for it. But, man, <laughs> hard to hit the board in the derby. Yeah, you got I that appreciate, right. Yeah, I appreciate everyone that 
that has that ability that's done it. Golly, it's hard to do, but it's such a part of history. So, Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, Chris, we have a lot of horse players that listen to our podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, Ellis Park just started on Sunday. Saratoga and Del Mars begin their meets in a few weeks. And uh, part of the of our focus, you know, for the rest of the year, we're going to be have, keeping an eye on two-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And with your keen eye, I kind of want to pick your brain. Uh, which freshman sires, could you name off maybe five or six freshman sires? And when I, when I, when I say freshman sire, I mean a, a sire with a, a, a first crop of two-year-olds. Their first two-year-olds are starting to race this year. Uh, we've already seen Gunrunner and Practical Joke. Yeah, uh, see, that, I was going to tell you that, the, yeah. to me, the standout is Gunrunner. Okay. Um, you know, the, for what they're doing, going so short, I mean, I, Steve told me, or not told me, excuse me, I haven't talked to him directly. Steve Esmussen has like 28 for windshield. And he was like, oh, my gosh, they're so precocious. They're doing what they shouldn't be doing. And I think that goes along with Candy Ride. So sound, so precocious. So definitely my first choice would be Gunrunner. Um, and uh, he's been well supported all the way through. Uh, if, if, you know. uh, how did he look at the – how did his yearlings look at the sales? Do you do you recall that? Or did you have any? I, I did. I did. And I will tell you uh, – so Valerie and I went to work the Maryland yearling sale and we do it every single year. Valerie Demerick and I, we do it every single year and we take kind of a girl's trip and we went to that sale and every single gun runner and every single practical joke could move, walk. And we, and I, and I called my husband and I said, okay, <laughs> gun runner, practical joke. Those are, I mean, every single one of them is, so far above my expectations, uh, if they run to their looks, they're going to kick ass. So those would definitely be the two sires that I think have the biggest shot. But then again, that's not lost on anyone else. I mean, obviously, that's kind of what's coming to the fruition right now. Uh, Unified is another stallion who is on a candy ride. And I don't think anyone expected his horses to do what they did the two-year-old sales. Uh, and Midnight Storm, I think, was the big, like, the dark horse of them all. Like, he, you know, he's a son of Pioneer of the Nile. He won grade two on the dirt, grade one on the turf. He was kind of, you know, he, uh, Little Red Feather had him out in California. And all of a sudden, when they go to the two-year-old sales, they're like, blam, 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 blam. And so... I think that is the hor- that's the dark horse of the whole group is Midnight Storm to me. Now, Unified had a stakes winner over the weekend. I think he's the sire of Behave Virginia, one of the debutants yes. Churchill for yes. Timmy Peak. Yeah. So, and yeah, you're right. The, the Midnight Storm is a sire I never thought would catch on, but uh, yeah, you're right. He, his his progeny really fared well at the sales. Uh, mm-hmm. Any any others that uh, you can maybe uh, maybe a surprise that that we need to look for or that you can I think, think I I think the horse that has a lot of numbers out there which will be interesting to watch to see if it comes to fruition is Klimt um grade 1 winner and uh son of quality road he certainly has lots of horses on the in the pipeline and you would hope that I mean obviously that Philly that won impressively in California was good 
And so to me, he is an inexpensive potential horse uh, to kind of make his mark. But, you know, there can only be so many. So I, but so far, I feel like this group is very solid. Um, I'll be interested to see the feedback of other people to see what they think of who are, who they're picking and who, uh, it's really so hard until you, you put him in the gate. Right. Well, going back to Gunrunner, I remember him. He was, he was a, just an above average, maybe two year old, but he just kept getting better and better and better. So I, I would think it's really exciting if you had a, a good Gunrunner two year old that they're going to actually improve with age. So that's, that's exciting. Well, I, I did talk to Steve at the two year old sale last year and he told me that gun runners work before the derby he thought the horse was going to blow the doors off oh, wow. and so he said he was just expounding on what he thought of gun runner and how amazing he was and how uh, it just I, I was definitely in tune with the excitement that he posed with the horse. And and we don't really know, though. That's the hardest thing. I mean, you can have a five-time grade one winner of $10 million and not throw a jump, not throw right. a horse that can run a jump. Right. Uh, but but I definitely think that Steve influenced me to believe that Gunrunner could be something really special, um, especially because Twirling Candy, for us, has been special. So if Twirling Candy can do that, can Gunrunner do that? I don't know. We'll see. Dirt or turf? Well, we know dirt, but could could Gunrunner sire turf runners as well? I would think so. I mean, I'm we're ready. We need we need huh. we. I mean, with the death of Leobon and the exportation of this of this horse and the exportation of that horse and the death of this horse, we really need a bunch of proven sires to kind of step up and. And show the way. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that this crop is so accomplished that we might see it. I mean, and there's some some good horses that have three year olds on the horizon too that could really keep going forward. So um, it'll be interesting to see what shakes out. And ultimately, the hardest thing for any horse is their first crop hits. And they have to survive the second, third, and fourth crop bears. And to me, a horse that's really, really kept going on is Constitution, um, even though he has, um, you know, his fourth crop or yet to run, he's kept going. And that's not easy to do. And I think uh, Tappet was very similar to that. Okay. Well, a couple more questions before we wrap up. Uh, Phasic Tipton sales right around the corner, maybe in a few weeks, I think mid-July. <laughs> Uh, will you have any offerings in that sale? And if, if so, which one should we look out for? Yeah, we have Makraha sales has 16 offerings. Oh, my. <laughs> and, yeah, but, but okay. The biggest thing is people, what people, I think, have got to realize and why, and you see all those advertisements that Faisal Tipton's doing that the number two sale versus percentages of stakes winners and graded stakes winners is July and and number one is Saratoga. You cannot take a horse to July that does not eat, that does not show, that ha- is not precocious, 
that has skin problems, that has leg problems. That So these horses that are being shown in the July sale are forward. And what they're showing us is that they want to do it. They want to train. And and I think that that is an important thing to make sure that, can, that buyers understand. I cannot take a stall walker to July. I cannot take a weaver to July. I cannot take a horse that backs out of its feed tub to July. So all these horses are going to be handpicked by all these different consigners to have the right mental attitude. I mean, Vijack was a July yearling. You know, so it's so I think that that's the most important thing to realize that that these are the precocious horses. And um we have two collecteds, we have three midshipmen's. I mean, we have, a, we have a good Samaritan New York bred. Um, we have an American Freedom, who I think is American Freedom has kind of surprised people. There's another uh, kind of sleeper horse. He's had three really good main special weight winners recently. Right. Um, so it's it's one of those things where, gosh, no one has their crystal ball. But I do think July is a wonderful place to buy a racehorse because of all the parameters i just gave you uh, i remember back in the back in the day keeneland used to have their july sale and that was more like a who's who of racing i mean it, well who's who of global society would, would attend that it was a great I, I remember sneaking in there a few times this is a great party i've never been to the phasic tipton july sale what, what's the atmosphere like there is it more horsemen or or celebrities or, or what's going on the Saratoga sale is more of the celebrities and what you're looking for is the party atmosphere. The July mm-hmm. sale is a lot of pinhookers and resellers and uh, just uh, it's a workmanlike sale. And it's, it doesn't have the pageantry of the Saratoga sale or the former Keeneland sale. That is funny, though, because with Keeneland, with the new leadership at Keeneland, that was actually a top, a recent um, part of the subject with Tony Lacey running now taking over Keeneland and people talking about how can we capture that excitement, that, <laughs> that, that spirit, that unbelievable energy that was once the Keeneland July sale. And uh, hopefully one day the Keeneland September book one, book two will fall into that. I think with the new leadership, that's highly possible. I really do. Uh, I I think with the new leadership and a lot of the different entities, people get it. They understand. They understand that the world is changing. Things are changing. And uh, we have to change along with them. And we have not changed along with them, but we're going to. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. And... Um, can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait till Saratoga. And if people want to come for pageantry and everything, the Saratoga sale is unbeatable in my opinion. Gosh, I hope they bring that July sale back. That was so much fun. If if you're listening to this, you've got to go to to a horse sale, either at Phasic Tipton. Phasic Tipton is beautiful. The, the, the grounds are so beautiful. And, and the Keeneland sale, it's so neat to go to and see how, how everything's done. And it's just uh, – it's it's something you need to put on your bucket list if you're if you're into racing at all or if you're a fan. So Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Last uh last question for you. You I believe you're a member of the 
of Woe, which is the Water, Hay, and Oats Alliance. Could you tell us about that a little bit? Well, I think that I want to say give complete props to Stacey Hancock, Arthur Hancock's wife, who has been instrumental in fighting the good fight. And I think basically a lot of us get it. A lot of us understand that the the days of a pro drug sport are over. The days of of non you know things have to be transparent. The days of non transparency are over. So now people embrace information. They embrace data. They want they want real truth. They want the horses to be treated like they're number one, which they should be. And uh, I think when everything is a level playing field, things are people be going to be much more comfortable. When when no horses are on Lasix and no horses are running on Lasix, you saw the whole two-year-old year, the whole Triple Crown season, we didn't have a major incident. Good horses won races. Good horses that could win without drugs, without race day medication, won races. And we, as breeders, are going to breed to those horses. And that is how you ultimately change the breed for soundness, security, etc. I am personally, and I always have been for the past 10 years, and I took a lot of shade for it, I am anti-race day drug, and I'm pro-water hay oats. And I think from having horses in, uh, in, um, in Europe that we paid bills on and from being married to Australian, that is the norm in a lot of other countries. And there's no reason it can't be the norm here. Do you know of any studies? I mean, are they doing studies on these horses now with the uh, – no Lasix on the, in, in the, uh, the greatest stakes and the, in the two-year-olds are, I, I think that's pretty important that, you know, if we're going to, we're going to ban Lasix, I think we need to know the numbers. Wouldn't you agree with that? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a worldwide standard. I mean, we're, the United States is the only country that still runs on it. And like I said, it ran seamlessly. The two-year-olds could not run on it. The Oaks and Derby horses could not run on it. Search results never ran on it. And I think the proof is in the pudding. And I think the only thing to fear is fear itself. And uh, like I said, a level playing field is completely different. You know, when uh, I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of racehorses. And the only two I ever had that bled came home. They got off the trailer. And, they could, and I did not know this, but they could barely hobble off the trailer because they had other soundness issues. And the bleeding was just basically because of the stress of that. So, but that's my own personal opinion. I know there's a lot of people that are pro-drug and pro-Lasix, but I, I don't think our industry is going to survive pro-drug anymore. I, 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 I truly don't think so. I, tr- I truly think that um, to change things, we have to be transparent and we have to get rid of the drugs. And that's my own personal opinion. And I understand. And I'm very good friends with people who differ on that opinion. And I appreciate their opinion. I just hope that ultimately we get towards that more. Well, as a horse player and a, and a friend of a lot of smaller trainers that, that operate smaller stables, I think that's one thing that everybody uh, on, on our end wants is we want a level playing field. And, you know, that's uh, that's worth fighting for, for sure. So level playing field 
illegal and legal drugs. I agree. I agree with you. A level playing field makes people feel secure. Yep. Period. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. They'll, they'll invest more money. They'll gamble more money. That's that's uh, that'll keep the game alive. And me. we can have them. The only reason I know we can have this because my first trip to Australia. When I was visiting my husband's family, I sat down at the kitchen table, and here is the paper, the the Sunday paper. And I brought the Sunday paper, and we're having coffee, and all his parents around. And I was like, I looked at it, and it's like this 50-page insert about horse racing. And I was like, what? Oh, my. What? And I did not realize until I went over there. They say that one out of every 20 Australians owns a racehorse or piece of racehorse, and that was the difference. And when I saw what could happen, I was inspired to make it happen. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying 100%. It's just my own personal beliefs that if we can clean up everything and have a better product, I think things will change, and we could potentially come back to the glory days, and that's all I want. That would be awesome. So I mean, we have the horse. They, we have the horse. Yeah. That's the greatest thing people don't realize. We right. have the horse. With all other sports, football, basketball, baseball, whatever, you can't go pat pat your football player on the nose and give him a little snuggle and give him some treats. We can't with the horse. The horses love us for it, and we love them. Well, Carrie, this has been fantastic. Uh, I love your story. I love everything about it. You've been a, you've been a great guest, a really informative. And uh, going forward, now we can uh, we can start following all the the Mockmer Hall grads. And uh, with Phasic Tipton coming up, uh, we'll we'll definitely see how how your yearlings fare at the sales, and and we'll follow them going forward. But Carrie, this has been outstanding. I've like I said, I could I could talk to you for hours and hours upon him, but uh, we 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 have to cut it short here at some point. So uh, Amen. Thank you so I, much. I really I appreciate, appreciate it. it. I appreciate it, Carrie. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks so much. Sax is down inside. Let's be clear. Fourth, sixteenth pole now. It's take the back roads. Action potential and Sax. And let's be clear. Joins them late on the scene outside. Any one of four can win it. Sax short lead, maybe. Sacks might have held. Let's be clear. Found stride way too late, but it's tight. Okay, on June 11th at this uh, past Churchill Downs meet, a two-year-old filly named Sacks, ridden by John Court and trained by our guest tonight, won a maiden special weight for two-year-old fillies uh, going about five furlongs. And she, she upset a, a, a decent field of uh, fillies. One was trained by Brad Cox. The other one was trained by... Uh, Tom Amos, the second and third place finishers. Uh, and uh, that filly is under the care of our guest. That's Derek Bright from Campbellsville, Kentucky. Derek, are you on the line with us tonight? Yes, sir. How's it going? Man, it's going good today. It's been a, been right. a beautiful day out, so going good. Absolutely. A little, little warm, but it, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. Right, right. Uh, before we get into the to the horses, let's talk about your, your vacation uh, just uh, recently. I think you you went out west. Is that correct? Yeah, we went out, uh, visited the Tetons, and uh, just kind of went out west, uh, Yellowstone, Tetons, Cody, Wyoming, and come back through, uh, hit Mount Rushmore before we come home. So, so that, that sounds like a, a vacation I took about 30 years ago. We, we, I think we did the opposite. We went through Mount Rushmore first, come down through Yellowstone, and, and, and the Tetons last. How was, how was it for you? First time uh, you ever I'm, been out there? 
first time I've always wanted to go. Uh, my my kids has kind of got old enough where they can remember it, and that's kind of what I wanted. Uh, but it's it, I mean it's God's country. It's beautiful. Uh, the Tetons. I mean the mountains are absolutely unreal. Uh, it's just, it's just different. It's different from Kentucky, so for sure. Did you did you see Old Faithful? I, I did. I did. Isn't that crazy? It, it is, yeah. But I, I I'll be honest with you, I feel like once you see it, you've seen <laughs> it. But I mean to see it for the first time is pretty neat. But don't get me wrong. <laughs> So, I mean, basically, the thing, it erupts every hour, right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's every hour and a half, two hours now, something like that. But yeah. it's it's unbelievable how high it gets and just how much water. Um, you know, I, I was kind of put it in comparison to my pool, the, the amount of gallons that it shoots out is, is it's, it's, I want to say they said like 15,000 within those five or six minutes. So you're talking about a lot of water. That's insane. Did you drive or did you fly? Uh, well, we flew into Jackson Hole, um, and then we we drove around, and then we flew back out of oh I can't I can't remember uh, South Dakota. There, um, my mind's went blank. But anyways, we flew out of South Dakota. So I got you. Did you happen to see Crazy Horse? That's the one thing I missed when I you when know I, was... I, I didn't. We was going to go to it. it. It's about thirty minutes from Mount Rushmore. Um, they, they, which they got, you know, they got a big picture of it there. And I guess they got the head of it done. And it looks like they're kind of starting on the horse part. But no, we didn't, we didn't get to go down there. I, I was wanting to see it. And my, my daughter was wanting to see it. But we just didn't, the timing wise, we just didn't have time. And it was uh, raining. It was raining that day. So it just wasn't a good day. I understand. Well, let's rewind the clock back to uh, June 11th. Uh, you, you saddled a filly named Sachs, a daughter of Jimmy Creed. And uh, she she won a, a a really nice maiden special weight. Uh, had a purse of fifty two thousand dollars, and and she held off a a couple of fillies, like I said, from the Brad Cox and Tom Amos barn. Uh, going into that race, did you think you had a chance to win it? She went off eight to one, by the way. Uh, I, well, let's put it this way: I never bet my horses, and I bet her that day. I, oh, wow. I knew, yeah, I knew she was going to win. Now. I think I honestly figured it would be more impressively than she did. Uh, but she, yeah, she went into it great. I mean, I I don't bet them, but I, I bet her that day. I felt good about it. Okay. Well, what changed between uh, start number one and start number two? Uh, she it looks like the light bulb really went on. Um. Well. Okay. To, to some extent, now if you look back at race number one, well, and I tell you, it was trainer era, and and I told Matt this when we talked. I said I, I messed up, and and here's what happened is when we had her, so I had her at Belterra getting her ready, getting her gate card. So, um, um, and she was she was doing a lot of acting up behind the gate, not necessarily in the gate, but behind the gate. Um, so we decided to put. Uh, cotton in her ears to kind of help uh, help her out, and it did. It helped her out. But uh, that first race, I almost believe that it made her too. Uh, what I guess you'd say, lackadaisical. Just kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. Just almost too good. Like she just didn't have enough pep in her step. So uh, she broke slow, but I, I really feel like she ran a good race. Uh, another thing that was happening was we had her at Belterra. And she was beating everybody. We was breezing her, and I mean, she, she was just smoking everybody. And she didn't get a whole lot of dirt in her face. So when she broke there that first race, she kind of sat back with the dirt. Um, and then if you really watch it at the end, she comes up and she makes up a lot of a lot of ground. And she only gets beat like four lengths per second. 
so overall, I, I know I took out of that race that she ran a really good race uh, for what well, she had. Uh, I'm looking, just, you know, it, it was more trainer error than anything. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm looking at the chart right now. Uh, that that race she ran, uh, she was next or sixth of seven, but the winner of that race was Behave Virginia. Behave Virginia came back. Win the state. The, yeah, right. she won the debutante on Saturday, or yes, right. so, Saturday on closing day. So yeah, and, and uh, then I think the third place finishers actually come back and ran second again, only beaten by a neck. Yes, uh, trade secret. Correct on that trade and, secret. And so, so that was, I mean, that was a pretty tough, legit race. I think. Yeah, that, that's a that was a salty race for sure. Yeah. Correct. So, uh, uh, how did Sachs come out of the race? Man, uh, you know, she come out good out of that race. Uh, and one of the things that Court told me, uh, and John. Uh, that's kind of why I use John is John's always been good about kind of telling me uh, on my babies kind of, you know, uh, I guess steering me, help me uh, which direction to go with them. And John, two things, he said, get that daggone cotton out of her ears. <laughs> and the second thing is, which, which I kind of knew that because in a paddock, I figured she would be just have a little bit more pep in her step that first race than she did, which, uh, you know, two year olds, they sometimes they do that. It just overwhelms them. But um, we, so we took the cotton out and that kind of woke her up a little bit. Um, and then he he actually thought she needed to go longer, which I think she does. Uh, but you'll see that I ran her back shorter, but it was just the, kind of the only option we had at that time. So. So I, I, I'm guessing the hard part now is finding a, what, what do you do next with her? Because there's not a lot of allowance races around. Uh, you, they may or may not feel. Uh, what, right. what do you do with her? Well. And that's kind of what me and Matt's been talking about this last week since or the last couple of days since I've been back from vacation is, I guess um, he's kind of filling out whether to put her in the uh, phasic Tipton sale this coming month, um, or if we keep her, you know, where we go. I know there's an allowance race coming up at Ellis in the middle of the month, but I mean, it's just hard to find a spot. You know, you can go to these stakes races. I, I'm not a big fan of throwing them to the wolves that quick, especially right. babies. And, and, you know, if she'd have won impressively, maybe, but, uh, I mean, she won a good race. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I was looking at more like an allowance, something something just to get her another race on her belt before she, but we really throw her to the wolves and kind of see what she's got. So uh, let's talk about the owner, Matthew Scherer. He's a prominent owner on the East Coast. Uh, how did you uh, right. come to get in contact with him? Well, how me and Matt, so me and Matt actually have never met. I've only talked to him on the phone. <laughs> we're, we're actually really good friends on the phone. We talk a couple times a week now. But how I met Matt is I had a horse um, named Crown and Cope that went a maiden special weight at Mountaineer last year, went by 13, and Matt wanted the horse. So he actually called me, and I believe they hadn't even had the horse unsaddled yet when he called me. He says, I want to buy that horse. And so I, was, I, I shot him a price. And, and, you know, and I was being fair with Matt. I, I actually really was fair with him. I could have just went out with a crazy number. Hey, I want this much for this horse. And I was fair with him and I was honest with him. And uh, he got the horse back. The horse really didn't, I wouldn't say he did terrible for, for him, but he didn't do real well. But he kind of knew everything going in. I feel like I was up front and honest with him. And Matt got the horse. He really liked the way the horse trained. I mean, so. I feel like, you know, being upfront and honest and kind of just not trying to rip a guy's head off when you, when you buy, you know, when he's trying to buy a horse, just to, um, I think that went a long way. And uh, me and Matt kind of become friends 
after that. And uh, I asked him about, actually, we went to the Keeneland sales in September and he wanted me to look at a couple horses since I was up there for, I think he was uh, buying a few to send to the Gulfstream, um, the Gulfstream sale to kind of, I don't know if you call it pin hook or what, but uh, so I looked at those and then we ended up finding this filly, which I buy a bunch of two-year-olds anyway. And he thought she would bring around, you know, at the time, Sax, he thought she would bring 20 and she brought seven and he calls me. He says, Derek, man, I just bought this horse for seven. He said, you said she was all right. You know, what's wrong with her? And I said, you know, she, she's all right. I mean, she's straight. She's, <laughs> confirmation's good. I mean, she's a little narrow, uh, but overall she's, she's a good little filly. Uh, I mean, I, technically I didn't see nothing wrong with her. She was a little narrow. So I, I think the whole time in the back of his head that he's like, uh, you know, what's wrong with this? But anyway, so he told me, he said, Hey, you know, you break horses. He said, why don't you just break this one? Um, he was actually going to buy another one and then kind of let me break both of them and kind of pick which one I wanted to keep. And we was going to, we was actually shooting for the, the Keeneland, uh, yeah, the Keeneland April, uh, meet. Um, but we ended up didn't, we didn't buy another horse and I ended up sticking with her and then she just needed more time when it come, come to April. She just needed a little extra time. So she wasn't ready. So isn't it good? It's a good feeling to know that you're proven right. As far as what now? As far as the, as far as that Philly? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, to go back on that, I don't mean to just talk your head off, but um, you know, I, I kept telling that. You know, we we breezed her, and and actually, this was really early because I usually don't breathe my babies this early, but we breathed her on January 9th to let her run down the lane. Now I, I say breeze, but actually, we just let her run down the lane, open up, and I, it, it was just like, I mean. You could just tell she was way ahead of a lot of two-year-olds that I've had, and and I'm down with Chris Melton in Columbia. We actually train out of Columbia, and and you know Chris got a lot of babies, and you could just tell she was ahead. And so we took her uh, the next week or two and let her run down a lane with a couple of Chris's that you know he thought was pretty nice, and, and she was she was breezing right with them. And I, I called Matt and I said, you know, you're not gonna believe this, but this Billy, I'm telling you, she's <laughs> one of the better ones in the barn. And I, I honestly, and, and Matt told me this after she went, that he said, man, I thought you was BSing me the whole time, you know? And I was like, Matt, I, I'm telling you. And, and like Chris had one win for uh, Melton. He had one, not win, sorry. He ran second. She ran second in the main special weight. And, and Sachs had been breezing right with her. And I, you know, I told, I told Matt, I said, uh, I said, you know, I wouldn't trade Sachs for anything. I said, I think, I think she can run right with that horse. And that was green up. Uh, I think Chris ended up selling her, so. She ran a pretty good race. So let's talk about uh, how you got into the into the sport. Uh, did you did you uh, assist under anybody, or how, how did you get into the game? Well, <laughs> I, I, how I got into it was uh, I, I was shoeing horses at the time, and I had a guy named Marshall Johnson who dabbled in the uh, dabbled in the thoroughbreds. And he, you know, we went to a couple of races and then he hooked me up with a guy named Dwight Preston. I don't know if you know Dwight from E-Town. He's a, he's an attorney out of E-Town. Yeah. And, uh, I was doing a lot of shoeing. I started doing thoroughbreds and stuff like that in about 2007, 2008. And, um, I got my first horse RNA for 4,500. I think I'll give a thousand for it, uh, at the Keeneland September sales and brought it home and just started, I actually, turned the horse out with my father's cattle 
and broke it and got it going and just kind of fell in love with it. Uh, you know, and that, that's kind of the thing I've kind of stuck with is just, you know, I dabble with the claiming game, just claiming just to have something to go to the track with. But I've always enjoyed the babies, just uh, get breaking them and getting them ready. So. All right. So, so tell us, tell us about your uh, operation now. I w- before we started recording this, uh, you, I, I jokingly said Campbellsville not is not necessarily the horse country of Kentucky, but uh, or the horse capital of Kentucky. But uh, you, you quickly pointed out a bunch of trainers that are down there now. So uh, who's down there, and, and what's your operation like? Well, uh, so like I said, is I'm I'm with Chris Melton, and you know Chris has got, I mean, he keeps forty to fifty babies. Um, He's wow. got it's it's a it's got a nice you know place got a nice Euro sizer five H track like we got a beautiful setup uh, Chris has down there, so I've been with Chris. I mean, there's other trainers. You got the Kevin Fletcher, the Godsies. You got Justin Marshall, uh, Aaron, and Ethan West. I think Ethan's like I said, he's gone to Indiana now. Uh, Larry Holt was down this way. Joe Kane. So you've got you know you've you've had quite a few people come out of here, and I'm probably missing some people, but. Um, but uh, we, we, you know, we got little tracks down here. We, we, and we still got fairs. You know, we got the Russell County Fair we run in. It's kind of fun. So, uh, but the operation is, you know, I keep around eight to ten babies, uh, and we, you know, break them more or less. I just get them ready for people. Uh, I'm not really, and I say that because I, I do like when I when I got I do the claiming game a little bit. But that's just kind of with my friends, like the ones that would just go in and maybe claim a horse just to go to the track. But most of ours is just buying at September sale, getting them ready, uh, getting them pretty either close to their gate card or their gate card and trying to either resell them. Or if they, you know, if I've got a couple of clients that I break for and I just send them, you know, they'll either go to other trainers. Right. So, so what's the uh, kind of what's the long game for you? I mean, what, what do you what's your <laughs> plan five to ten years down the road? Do you, Man, I honestly let's say let's say this. Um, I dabble in politics too, so <laughs> my my horse racing thing. It started out as a hobby. It's become a job, but I still try to make it a hobby. I I, I really enjoy breaking babies for people and getting them ready. So I, I kind of hope that continues. I really do. I, I mean, I absolutely love getting uh, you know dabbling with the babies. Uh, they can be a headache sometimes, but I love that. Uh, I don't know where my politics is going to take me. I, I'm, a, I'm currently a county magistrate. Uh, wow. Okay. I served, uh, this is my second term. I, uh, so I'll go up for re-election this next year. So, I, you know, I'll dabble with that. Um, I might go on with that. I've always wanted to. I just don't know if the time's right. So uh, that's that's kind of where I, I just really don't know right now. It just kind of depends on, what the, I guess, what the good Lord wants for me. So, so you- I, I enjoy the babies right now. When you say babies, you're you're talking about like uh, yearlings. Yearlings, yearlings, correct. And maybe into their early two-year-old season. Yeah, yeah. I I, I enjoy getting them as yearlings. You know, it's September, October, and and breaking them, and getting I trying to get them ready. You know, and yeah. that, not necessarily ready for like Keeneland, but uh, getting them broke and getting them started and, and getting them you know started in the gates and stuff like that, and then they can kind of go on their way. But I got you. Okay. Uh, somebody wanted to to maybe talk to you about. Uh, breaking some yearlings uh what's the best way to reach you is just just call you or, or, or look you up is yeah. there any way to to reach you yeah i mean i which i'm on like uh facebook or anything uh you can find me there uh you know my my cell anybody can call me i don't know give it out on I the podcast you. i guess you can give it out on our podcast which is uh 270-849-5222 was 
hey, I get all kind of, I don't answer my phone. And I say this because when you're in a politics, you get crazy, crazy calls. So, <laughs> so you got to leave a message or text yeah. me is the best way. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, go, going back to the race, uh, did you take a little extra pride in beating uh, I, you Cox, know, Tom Amos? I, let, let, me, let me tell you something there. I, so I won back, I think I won my first race in November of 2009, the Churchill. It was my very first win. And back then it was the old winter circle. And I remember jumping off. I was so excited. I jumped off, twisted my ankle. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was the craziest. But I will tell you something. I, and I've had, a, you know, a number of wins. I mean, I'm not like these big trainers, but I, you know, I have had good wins. And nothing's excited me like my first win, except this win at Churchill. And I, it was just different. Yeah, I guess you're running with the big boys. Um, you, I, you know, I put a lot of heart in that filly. I, I had a lot of confidence in her. And I, I, you know, like I said, I thought she ran a good race the first race. I kind of wanted to prove that. It was, it was kind of more like I need to prove. I knew what that filly had. I just needed to prove it. And I feel like that day she proved it. Um, and I think she's really going to be a nice filly. I really do. Uh, you go, the uh, funny story is, and here's why I think that is um, back several years ago, I was in the lounge behind Churchill Downs. And I remember D. Wayne Lucas was in there. And, you know, when you see D. Wayne, it's just like you're, <laughs> you're seeing a, you know, uh, like a Hollywood star. Right, yeah. celebrity. Yeah. And, and I remember him watching a baby race, and D. Wayne said the horse went by like 13 or 14, and everybody's like, man, that's a, you know, that's a nice horse, this, that. And I remember D. Wayne, and he didn't even know me, but he kind of looked, he, he looked over my way and he said, son, he said, when a horse wins like that, you've got to question his competition. <laughs> but when a horse wins by a nose or a head, that horse, if it dug it out, that's a good horse. And, and that's a horse that's got heart. Right. And, and I think Sachs did that that day. You know, right. at, the, at the top of the lane, I thought, she, you know, I thought she was going to get passed. And, and she just she put her head down and like she does at home. And I mean, she just kept digging. And so it was a good win. I, I was I was pretty happy with it. Well, Derek, I love when the lesser guys, the lesser known guys get their day in the sun because you, right, you work right. just as hard as <laughs> you, you work right. just as hard as the guys to get the million dollar uh, September yearlings. And, you know, it, 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 it's, it's more fun. I think for me, it's just more fun to, to watch uh, somebody like you uh, uh, right. pick up a win here and there. It's just, uh, it's uh, redeeming and just, you know, makes us, it, I'm sure you, you probably wake up a little bit earlier every morning now just to, just to. Yeah, it definitely puts a pep in your staff. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, you know, I think, I think if I had them big time horses, I don't know if I might be a little nervous, you know, I don't know. We, you know. Well, you'd I like put, to find but, out but, though, but, right? You know, I would. I would. Now, as far as owning one myself, I'd probably sell it before I got there. You know, but right. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's 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 been a it's been an adventure. I I mean, I absolutely love it. So, and all right. Matt Matt's been really good to me. I mean, I mean, he's excellent owner. So all right. Well, that's cool. Uh, we'll we'll wrap this up here, uh, Derek. I appreciate your time and. Uh, Man, well, that's, that was talk too much. So. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That this was uh, uh love your story with Sachs. Uh, uh, selfishly, I hope you get to keep the horse, and so we can root you on a little bit down the road. But if 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 uh, if Matthew Sherrod decides to put her in the sale, I hope she brings a whole lot. So right, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, th thank you, thank you for your time, Derek, and uh, we wish you much much success going forward. All right, CC, I appreciate you, man. All right, thank, thank you. you.